Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone, Happy New Year and welcome to the first Oliver's Insights podcast for 2023. This podcast, we're going to have a look at uh, the outlook again for the year ahead and what I do every year at this time of year is uh, put together a bunch of dot points relating to various insights regarding the outlook and what may happen and why I think various things may or may not occur. Of course, they don't always turn out to be right, but they do provide, I guess, some starting point from which to go with for the year ahead. In any case, I guess, quick recap on what happened last year, not the best of years for investors. We saw very strong returns in 2021, thanks to reopening from COVID restrictions and stimulatory fiscal and monetary policies, but those things had an impact in 2022, particularly as the reopening and all the stimulus led to inflation problems, a surge in interest rates and bond yields. We also had geopolitical issues, notably the invasion of Ukraine. And of course, all of that led to worries about recession. This saw typical balance funds after very, very strong returns in 2021 of around 14%. Looks like a typical balance growth super fund lost around 5% or so in 2022. And of course, after inflation, it's quite a bit worse than that. Over the last five years, those same funds on average have returned around 5.5%. And we have seen a pattern of successive strong years followed by weak years starting in 2017. Weak year in 2018, good year in 2019, poor year in 2020, good year in 2021, and of course a bad year in 2022. And hopefully that pattern will repeat at least for the year ahead and we'll get a strong year in 2023. Time will tell. But uh, what I'd like to do, as I just mentioned, go through a bunch of uh, issues for the year ahead and a bunch of dot points that relate to those issues. So I'll try not to get into too much detail here as tendency for most economists is to do just that and put everyone to sleep, but I'll try and keep everything pretty simple. Now I reckon if I think about 2022, there was five key lessons for investors. The first one is that inflation was not dead. It was just resting to borrow from Monty Python. And obviously the combination of the pandemic surge in money supply, reopening, supply constraints, all led to a huge surge in inflation. Second key lesson from 2022 is that to control inflation, central banks have to act and sound very tough. Initially, they were a bit slow off the mark there, but I reckon they got there eventually. And certainly by the end of 2022, they're all sounding pretty tough, which partly explains why share markets had a rough December after a much better October and November, or at least at least the November. Um, share markets go through periodic rough patches. That's part and parcel of investing in share markets. And I think we have to accept that that is just the reality. And of course, high inflation and rapidly rising interest rates are not good for them. But we also know that that period of roughness is the price we pay for better returns from shares and undergrowth assets over the longer term. Geopolitics matters, and this was clearly evident in the last year, particularly if war, as we saw in the case of Ukraine, disrupts commodity supply, which is, of course is what we have seen. And finally, I think the key lesson, or a key lesson for me, and this is one I've been uh, referring to for many years now, is that we need to turn down the noise. Every year seems to go by and we get more and more noise around investing. A lot of that noise is irrelevant. Well, the news flow is irrelevant. It's um, being amplified by social media and clickbaits. 
um, but unfortunately it does distract us from appropriate long-term investment strategies. So the key is to turn down that noise flow. Now, that's enough for 2022. I reckon there's nine reasons for optimism. First one is that despite the surge in inflation last year, long-term inflation expectations remain low. This should mean that it should be easier for central banks to get inflation back down than it was, for example, back in 1980, when it required some very deep recessions at the time. Inflation has likely peaked. If you look at a whole bunch of indicators, particularly relating to supply constraints, business surveys relating to prices, commodity prices, they're all suggesting that inflation looks to have peaked, particularly in the key US economy around the middle of last year. And in fact, since the middle of last year, US inflation has fallen from 9.1% down to 7.1% on the latest numbers. And our inflation pipeline indicator is still pointing down for US inflation as a lot of the pressures that drove it higher are now starting to recede. And I suspect that the one lagging pressure, labor market tight tightness, will start to recede or reverse as we go through the year ahead. Thirdly, key central banks, I think, have likely seen or are at a peak hawkishness. Now, we're starting to see if you go back through last year, we saw the Reserve Bank back around October move to downsize its interest rate hikes. So it went from this almost one-sided risk all about inflation to trying to balance those risks. So it sort of backed away from the hawkishness that we were seeing up until then. And since then, we, of course, we've seen other central banks do the same thing. Now, many central banks did reinforce their hawkishness at the end of 2022, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of Japan. But recently, we're starting to see the Fed, we're seeing more emphasis on downsizing those rate hikes from 50 basis points, cutting them back to 25. Um, so yes, they're still hawkish, but it looks like the peak in hawkish may be receding. Now, of course, ECB has a bit further to go and the Bank of Japan, but it does look when you look like when we look at Anglo central banks that maybe we have seen peak hawkishness. Fourth reason for optimism, China's move away from zero COVID will ultimately provide an offset to weaker US and European growth. Yes, it's come as a big surprise to many and caused a big upset with a huge surge in COVID cases in China. You can debate whether they had adequately prepared for that. But just as we saw in many other countries, including our own, yes, it causes initial disruption as cases surge, as we saw with the Omicron wave at the beginning of 2022, but ultimately things settle down. And I think if China is reopening, it will help it finally get back onto a stronger growth path after the disappointments of 2022, where growth in China was down around 3%, when the initial expectation was for growth around 5.5%. So that, I think, will provide an offset to weaker growth in US and Europe. The US dollar looks to have peaked. A lot of people might say, well, who cares about that? Well, if you're an emerging country with US dollar debt, uh, you would certainly care about it. Historically, a rise in the US dollar has been seen as a sign of investor cautiousness, whereas a declining US dollar is seen as a sign of investor optimism. So I think it looks like it's peaked and that is a positive sign. Now, of course, COVID's still having an issue. Obviously, in China, it's still impacting, but the combination of vaccines, antivirals, and less harmful mutations have allowed the world to start moving on from COVID. That has to be seen as a positive, an ongoing positive, and China is now playing catch up on that front. In Australia, the less aggressive RBA, along with other factors, I think should help us avoid recession. Another reason for optimism is geopolitics may not be as threatening in the year ahead as it has been. Just think about it, Western democracies united against uh, obviously the threat posed by Putin in Ukraine. Um, we've seen China's difficulties exiting zero COVID. And of course, Donald Trump looks to be on the nose to some degree after the US midterm elections. You can make an argument that the war in Ukraine may not get any more threatening. There are signs of a thaw in China relations. And of course, there are no major elections in key countries in 2023. Final point, and this is the ninth reason for optimism, I think, regarding the year ahead, is that just as US midterm election years are often poor for shares, which is certainly what 
what we saw in 2022, the 12 months after US midterm elections, and that of course is the period we're now in, is normally strong for share markets. So there are nine reasons for optimism um, regarding the year ahead. I reckon there's five reasons why Australia is likely to avoid a recession. I did cover this in a podcast a few months ago, but it, they are worth reiterating. First one is RBA is far less aggressive than other central banks in their way they're managing their monetary policy. And this means less likelihood that they will over tighten compared to other major central banks. Secondly, there's a big pipeline of home building approved in Australia, but yet to be completed. So that'll keep housing construction activity relatively solid, albeit it will slow down for some time to come. The business investment outlook remains strong in Australia. Rebound in Chinese growth, which I think will occur this year as their economy reopens and probably take their economy up to around 6% growth through the course of this year. That's positive for Australia because it will help boost our export volumes and, and keep export prices strong, even though we're probably going to see slower growth and the risk of recession in the US and Europe. And finally, the fifth reason for optimism that Australia will avoid a recession is that immigration is rebounding rapidly, which means more workers will help reduce shortages of workers and it will also support economic growth in Australia. So yes, Australian economic growth will slow down this year, but I don't think we're going to go into recession, albeit that risk is significant. Those five factors, I think, also suggest that the relative outperformance of Australian shares that we saw through 2022 relative to global shares will probably continue through 2023. What are our key views on markets for 2023? I did cover this in the last podcast for last year, but just a quick recap, I reckon that easing inflation pressures, which we're already starting to see some signs of, even though Australia is lagging on this front, we're going to still get some high numbers when they come out in the week ahead for Australia for the December quarter. But as we go through 2023, our inflation rate will probably follow the US inflation rate down just as it followed it up uh, through 21 and 2022. So inflation pressures will ease, central banks will move to get off the brakes, and some of them might actually start cutting interest rates by the end of the year. The anticipation of stronger growth in 2024 and improved valuations should all make for better returns in 2023. Obviously, there's going to be a bumps along the way. Rari's about recession. We could still see a retest of the 2022 lows or even new lows in share markets. But I reckon ultimately, by the time we get to the end of the year, this will prove to be a far better year for share markets. And on average, I reckon you'll see typical balance funds return something like 6.5% rather than the negative returns that we saw through 2022. I won't go into the details for each asset class, but it is worth revisiting the last podcast I did for the end of last year. Now, of course, as we go through this year, I don't think we're going to go back to uh, completely smooth sailing. I think we're still going to see a bit of volatility out there. And there's five reasons why I reckon volatility will continue. Obviously, we will have a slowdown in advanced countries, worries about recession, concerns about the impact of that on profits. Inflation will slow, but it will still be high. And that will cause periods of uncertainty about what central banks will do. Quantitative tightening. Don't forget, as we went through the pandemic, we had quantitative easing. Money was pumped into economies that is now being sucked back out again. And that adds to uncertainty um, as to whether monetary policy could end up being overly tightened. So that could cause a bit of volatility. Geopolitical risks remain, particularly in Ukraine, China. Issues are still there and Iran is still, still an issue. And in the middle of the year, the US will need to raise its debt ceiling. This happens every so often in the US, and occasionally the Republicans in Congress cause a bit of a, a bit of a argy bargy or brinkmanship. And I reckon we could see something similar this year again, particularly given the increased power of fiscal conservatives in the new House of Representatives makeup in the US after the midterm elections. So all of those things could result in a volatile ride, even though this year I reckon will be a far better year for investment returns than 2022 was. Five key things to watch 
much, obviously inflation, recession risks, US politics, particularly around raising the debt ceiling, geopolitics and Australian home prices. The reason I've got Australian home prices on that list there is quite simple. They're coming down. They're probably going to come down further, maybe fall another 9% or so, give it, give or take a bit for a top to bottom fall of 15 to 20%. If they fall a lot further than that, then that could cause financial stability issues. Now, I reckon there's nine things that investors should always remember. And of course, I add this onto my list of lists at the start of each year. First one is to make the most of compound interest to grow wealth. You've got to invest in growth assets because they will grow your wealth over time, even though they do have bouts of volatility. Don't get thrown off by the cycle. It's quite easy for that to happen. Things go down. People think this isn't working. Let's get out. Unfortunately, that just locks in a paper loss and turns it into a real loss with no hope of recovering or very little hope of recovering unless you can perfectly time markets, which is always very hard. Try and invest for the long term. Adopt a investment strategy that suits your wealth, age, risk tolerance and stick to it. Um, bottom line is that timing markets is very, very difficult. Diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Turn down the noise. We've been through that one. Buy low, sell high. Unfortunately, a lot of people do the opposite. They sell when markets are low and buy when they are high, which uh, mathematically is not the way to grow wealth. Avoid the crowded extremes. Focus on investments you understand offering sustainable cash flow. If it looks dodgy, hard to understand, has to be justified by odd valuations or new investors coming in, then stay away. Just remember there is no free lunch, whether you're talking about uh, 1990s techstocks.coms or crypto, um, there is no free lunch to be had here. And seek advice. Very, very important. Investing can get very complicated and it's often hard to stick to a long-term investment strategy on your own. So I hope that's all been of some use. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode.